Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for Closing the Wealth Gap. The one show, maybe the only show that shows you how to close the wealth gap in your own life with the man who's done it for many, our wealth coach himself, Tyrone French. Hey, Tyrone. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Closing the Wealth Gap. I'm your host, Tyrone French. Uh, It's good to be back. Uh, We're going to be starting season four up here. And, man, I am so excited to be back in the studio. Normally, I do this from my office uh, in Long Beach, California, or my home. But I'm actually in the studio, OC Talk Radio, Irvine, on campus of Irvine University. And it feels like home. Great to be back. And, hey, I, I guess Paul Roberts. Are you out there, buddy? I'm here. I'm here. I can't believe I have the force. I have two forces of nature in the house here today. <laughs> we got Force Master Chief uh, Christopher L. Penton in the house. How you doing there? Doing great. Doing great. He's hey. got 400 badges on his jacket here for those who are watching rather than just listening. He tells me. He was connected with. I thought he just buys these by the box or something. He just puts them on his. <laughs> no, I'm not, hey, I should buy them by the story. I mean, <laughs> 400 badges and 500 stories. Figure that out. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, time is limited today. So what I want to do, since we have Forest Master Chief Christopher Penn, I want you to tell your story based on. Because again, you got a lot of patches on your jacket, but give us a uh, a, a, quick, a really quick quick synopsis based on what it takes to be a force master chief and your journey from because uh, a lot of people don't know this but you and i was actually in basic training in san diego back in 1991 september uh not, september 1981 81 so tell that story man about you know how we met what we went through um and 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 your career just based on leading you to become a force master chief petty officer in the United States Navy. Well, it's the coolest story, French, because you you know it's the coolest story. We both ended up in San Diego uh, the night of September the second, nineteen eighty one. So what happened is, I'm actually was born. I actually was born and raised in Bogalusa, B O G A L U S A, Louisiana. I'm gonna tell you how to get to Bogalusa. Bogalusa is sixty miles north of New Orleans. Okay. You have to be going to Bogalusa to get to Bogalusa. I mean, you just don't happen to you just end, don't end up, up there. No, no, no. <laughs> so I was born in 1960 in Louisiana. Okay. So I didn't know my father my whole life. My father lived out in California. So when I graduated at 17, I came out to live with him. Okay. So I was living with him on 96 and Crenshaw, right in front of Reverend Price First Church at Hardy, that the intersection yes. right there. Yes. So. My father had a business. Okay, you got to really listen to the words. He had a business. His business was cleaning parking lots. You know, when the parking lots closed, he had these okay. trucks that come in and with a big vacuum and all that. Yeah. So he had went to Hawthorne Mall. I had went to Hawthorne Mall with him in July of 1981. Okay. And he had got a contract to clean the mall. So on our way home, he was telling the guy, he went in there, he had a, he had a blaze on. And a tie and a briefcase. I'm saying, what's in that briefcase? I've never seen you with a briefcase. So we go there and he get a contract to come clean the parking lot. Okay. Because he say he got three trucks and the capacity to clean up. So we go there. The next day, we go there to clean up the parking lot. And we got So you're telling me cleaning up parking lots drove you into the Navy? Yes. Drove, <laughs> literally drove me into the Navy. Okay. So, so we went by there and we was cleaning up. So the first day, the truck wasn't there. The second weekend, we went, 
I'm like, hey, you know, this is becoming routine. Where's the trucks? He said, well, let, let's get one thing straight. First of all, I don't have no trucks. I said, well, how are we going to clean this mall parking lot? He said, me and you, some brooms, dustpan, and garbage bag. I said, okay, I did that for about two weeks. And I was driving home. Here go the driving port. Okay. I was driving home down Vermont and Manchester. Okay. And it was a recruiting station. I remember that recruiting station. On that station. corner. Yes. And it was a sign there with Uncle Sam pointing directly at me and say, Uncle Sam wants you. And I said to myself, oh, no, not as bad as I want you. <laughs> that was on a Wednesday. <laughs> Thursday, I took the test. Friday, I went down to MAPS and took the physical. And Monday, I was on a bus from L.A. to San Diego. Wow. That quick. Wow. Now, you got to realize, I had a Louisiana education. Now, people don't know this, but I scored uh, uh, 18 on the AFQT. And I'm going to tell you why I scored. First of all, I didn't know that the test had that much. Well, of first of all, a lot of our listeners don't know what the a AFQT is. They don't know what the score is. Okay. But what that means is that if you're, if you're scored between... Uh, one to ten, you're, you're grading something from a one, one to ten level or, or a scale. Uh, an eighteen on AFQT is about a three. Yeah, or we could put it down like this: if the test score is a hundred, I scored an eighteen out of a out of the percentage. Right. Yes. So that means I didn't really qualify. I don't think I qualified right. to, to do in the Navy would get out to recruit a car, right, and do anything they wanted me to do. So. They were bringing in 125,000 people a year that year I joined. So I benefit from that because they were trying to go to a 500 fleet. Okay. Okay. So I didn't qualify for anything. I came in as an E1. Okay. Because I didn't come out, come in as anything, I had an opportunity to, to find a rate I really wanted to get into. Right. So I went from E1, non-designated, to E5 in two years. Wow. Then I made E5. I went from E5 to E6. I had seven years in the Navy. I was a first class at five years. Well, so just to give some historical background, normally it takes about eight, nine years to do what you just did yeah, in five it, years. Yeah. And then the other part of that is I made chief in seven and a half years. Some people do 20 years and don't make chief. I did it in seven years, and I made senior chief. Not the first time up. I made senior chief the second time up with 12 years in. Wow. And I was a master chief with 15 and a half. But I scored a eight. Now, not, don't take away from I scored a 18 to get in, right. which was like the lowest score you could ever score. Right. To get in. They say you don't qualify. No, you ain't, you're not going to be now. You're going to be a menace to me. Wow. But I went from E1 to E9 in, uh, in 15 and a half years. Wow. And I was a master chief, the highest rank. For 14 and a half years, I was the command master chief of the USS Nimitz, the USS Nimitz Battle Group. That's about 10,000 people. The USS Bellawood, 2,500 Marines and another 1,000 sailors. The USS Bunker Hill, an Aces class cruiser. The, the region of Washington, D.C., and I was the force master chief of Navy Recruiting Command. I was in charge of recruiting 40,000 people a year for six years. Wow. But I scored an 18. You get, don't 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 ever lose that right there. Exactly, exactly. I, I tell you what, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this back a little bit because we met in San Diego back in 1981. Uh, I joined the Navy. I was non-designated. As a matter of fact, I had dropped out of high school, uh, but I knew that it was time for me to get out of the environment that I was in. So I decided I was gonna join the Navy. Well, first of all, I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Um, I don't know how I did it, but got out of sequence, whatever. But I failed the exam for the Marine Corps. 
I had to wait six months and go back in and take the exam. I scored, um, I, I passed the Navy exam. And then I decided that I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I decided to go in non-designated, meaning that I didn't, I didn't have a job. So when we got the basic training back in September 19, uh, 1981, uh, they formulated our company. I don't know the criteria that they used to put our company together, but they just, they, they, the, the mold was broken after that company back in 1981. Let me tell you why. Whatever flag, whatever award, whatever accommodation they had, our company took every single award, every single flag. And that's why I'm able to sit here right now and talk to my good friend, Christopher Pitton, because there were so many leaders in that company um, that to this day, I don't I don't think that record's been broken in San Diego. And let me explain what a company is. A company is about 100 different individuals that get together that came in on September the 2nd. A hundred different individuals, and they go through eight weeks of boot camp together. They do everything together. First, you got to get to know each other. And every award that they came up with, we took. Yes. Now, what you don't know about my career, and people really don't know, is I actually almost got discharged before I got in the Navy. What happened is that weekend, I had a toothache. Okay. Before I went to boot camp. Yes. And my stepmom said, well, it don't make no sense for you to go for to go spend money on a dentist because you're getting ready to go to boot camp on Monday. They're going to pull. So I said, but, but take this Tylenol. Okay. I said, okay, I took it. The Tylenol had codeine in it. Mm. So I actually popped positive. Wow. I actually popped positive, but it was so low. But my mom, my stepmom was an engineer at Huge Aircraft from okay. Arkansas. This is what she wrote. To whom it concerned, if you could find in your heart to keep this young man in the Navy, I promise you he's going to do good things. They read that, kept me in the Navy. So the moral of the story is my ship sunk at the pier. Wow. But because I had enough cans in the boat, I bailed the water out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? Again, what I want to talk about today, because you and I, you know, we, we've been all over the world. We traveled all over the world. We've seen things. But as two young men going into the military and then getting a paycheck, first of all, getting three hots in a cot. I mean, getting three meals. You got a place to live. Uh, you got somebody telling you what to do, how to do it, when to be there, where to be. Um, you didn't have to think a lot. And all of a sudden, now you're getting a paycheck every two weeks from people that really weren't used to getting a, a a a consistent paycheck and i've seen it time and time and time again where a lot of these guys again they would graduate uh, from basic training they go to their first command they got this money and the first thing they started doing was just blowing their money and what i want to do uh is sp- kind of shed some light as far as had i known then what i know now by the time I'd gotten out of the military, which which I was pretty prepared when I got out, but I would have been I would have been so far ahead. But we didn't have the financial training. We didn't have the the mentors. We didn't have certain programs that we can plug into that would teach us how to be financially literate and how to uh, how to empower ourselves uh, economically. So I see it right now as far as a lot of recruiters. 
uh, they have a golden opportunity, not just to recruit these young men and these young women into the military, but to make them, to help them to become fine, upstanding citizens that are taking care of themselves while they're in the Navy or in the military, but after they yeah. get out of the military. So speak to that a little bit. And another good thing is what people don't realize about the recruiting world is 82% of the people that walk through the recruiter doors does not qualify to be in the military because of either health, too much finances, tattoos, or whatever. Okay. So so now you talk about what? 18%. Now you're dealing with about 18% of the So out of them 18%. How many are going to go to college? How many are going to go to university? How many are going to get other jobs? So you got a small percentage that you got to try to sell a person on why you think the military is better than going to the civilian world. Right. A couple of reasons. First, you start getting paid on day one. Right. Not just monetary. Your medical. Right. I knew a guy that had to put out because he, it would have cost the Navy too much work on dental. Mm. I mean, his grill was, like, all messed up. Wow. So they gave him a charge. They said, man, we could either put you out of the Navy or we could break your jaw mm. and restructure your whole mouth. You know how much that would have cost that guy? Wow. So he got that benefit. Your family get benefits. Yes. It's a grind, but it's an honest grind. But as you grind into the top, you're getting knowledge, you're getting wisdom, and you're getting opportunity to make a living for yourself at an early age. Well, Penn, think about this though. As as an 18, 19 year old young person, how many people are really thinking about the, the value that they're getting at that point as far as not having to worry about medical, not having to worry about dental, not having to worry about legal, okay? Not having, under, having making sure or understanding that uh, having the security of knowing that you got a paycheck coming in every two weeks and not even thinking about, not even contemplating retirement. Right. Not even contemplating, well, I might stay in the military for four years or six years, and then when I get out, um, how am I going to situate myself? The answer is zero. Zero 18, 19 years old are thinking like that. You know, they're thinking about what I'm going to do next hour. Right. When we got to reach. What club I'm going to go yeah, to? When we got am I going to How am I going to dress? But at the same time, they... They wonder about what club they're going to go to, but they're making the money right now to go to that club. Right. By being in the military. Right. And then you get access to different things, you know, just by being in the military. They got different clubs on base. Right. They don't cost you anything. Right. So it opens up a whole different life if you want to live that structure. Right. You know, a lot of people today, they're into this fitness thing, you know, and they, they you know, like a lot of guys, they want the six pack abs and you want to be, you know, but a lot of, if you're a civilian, you're, you're paying to go to the gym. You know, three, four, or five times a week. Whereas on the military, that gym is open seven days a week. So again, just there's just so many benefits to 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 being in that environment yeah. that a lot of times we don't think about. But again, knowing what I know now versus back then, um, I had a uh, I had a stereo. Uh, I, I didn't just have a stereo. I had components to my stereo. I had a separate equalizer, a separate uh, uh, power supply, 400, 400 watt uh, left and right channel power supplies. I had the best Bose speakers that, that money could buy. Uh, Nakamichi turntables. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I put into my stereo equipment. And by the time I got out, I had little to no money 
uh, in my GI Bill for, for college. Now, thank God that before I got out of the military, I was an avionics technician. Uh, actually, to be to be specific, anti-war, uh, anti-submarine warfare technician. When I went into the military, again, I was non-designated, so I didn't go to an A school or electronic school. When I went to the fleet, just based on my own aptitude, I realized that uh, I understood systems and electronics. So they ended up putting me into the avionics shop where I where I excelled. When I got ready to re-enlist, that's when I decided to go back to the service schools, which I got uh, went to uh, BEE or Basic Electrics and Electronics. I went to A school, and I had an opportunity to go to Advanced Electronics, but I just at that point I just wanted to go back to the fleet because I was I missed to me the fleet was home. I missed working on those aircraft. I missed the camaraderie with my friends, and so I went back to the fleet. And I ended up in uh, San Diego working at a uh, helicopter squadron, HSL-41. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, uh, we had technical representatives uh, that were from IBM. Um, at the time, I was working closely with these guys, and we were doing troubleshooting, and I was able to troubleshoot certain things that would just kind of make the tech reps scratch their head. But I understood that system like the back of my hand. So they kind of dropped the seed and said, hey, French, you know, you're, you're pretty good with this. Uh, why don't you go ahead and apply for a position at IBM. Um, fast forward, that's what I did. I applied for a position at IBM. Didn't get the job because it's not that I wasn't qualified for the job. What I, I was so cocky and so arrogant that they offered me an opportunity to come in and take the entrance exam on the day that I interviewed. But they said, we, we have an exam. Matter of fact, uh, we have the exam going this afternoon or you can come back the next day and take the exam i decided you know well you know what i i'm pretty good at what i do um i'll just go ahead and take the exam now in hindsight what i should have done was wait came back the next morning taking the exam i would have known what was on the what was known on the exam could have prepped for it and then i would have aced it well i go in and and take the exam and the one thing that i was kind of like i needed to brush up on was relays and servos and once I got to that portion of the exam, all I could do was take my hands, take my head and put it in my hands. It's not that I didn't know it. It's just that I hadn't applied it for so long that I was rusty. Yeah. And when they finally got the test results back, come to find out it was a few guys that scored higher than me. But as far as personality-wise, military-wise, uh, I was a good fit for IBM. However, there was a few guys that scored higher than me. They said, what I can do, we don't want to just reject you outright. What we're going to do is just bring you back in in a few months and have you test again. You blow that test out of the water, we'll get your position to IBM. My thing was I wasn't prepared to be out of the military for four to six months without having income. Right. So what I ended up doing was going to uh, Long Beach, California to McDonnell Douglas. At this time, uh, I had my stuff together. I had the right portfolio. I had my, my resume together. Uh, I was wearing the right suit. Uh, the right colors, uh, because when I went into IBM, man, I was wearing an Armani suit, a pinstripe Armani suit, Armani suit with a pinstripe for like maybe three inches thick. You know, I looked great as far as if I was on a, uh, a runway, you know, modeling Armani suits. Yeah. But for an interview, 
it's like uh, you know they say uh, first impressions or lasting impressions. You was overdressed. <laughs> I was overdressed for the interview. Yeah. So this time I kind of toned it down. I was wearing a dark blue suit for IB uh, for McDonald Douglas. I was wearing a uh, nice conservative tie, a white shirt. I'm standing in that line with my black portfolio in my hand, with my resume, and one of the inspectors, one of the managers from the inspectors um, uh, um, from the uh, MD80 line, saw me. Electrical inspector, manager, supervisor. Asked me what I was there for. Told him who I was, my background in military. He pulled me out of the line, took me into the lobby of that job fair, uh, and had me stand on the side where they were debating with these union stewards uh, about where they're going to bring me in. The guy came back. He said, "He said, look, we can't bring you in grade one, but what we're going to do is bring you in the top of grade three. Meaning what they were telling me is that you got a job. We're going to bring you in. We're not going to pass on you. And as we were walking, going through and finishing up the paperwork, the guy was so impressed with my resume and how I conducted myself. It was my military bearing. That's what I was. That's what I was uh, kind of like banking on. He said, we're going to bring you in as a uh, electrical inspector. Uh, but what we want to do is put you on the, on the floor. In 90 days, what we would like to do is promote you to quality assurance administrator. Mm, QA. QA. And that's what happened. I worked as an electrical inspector for about 90 days, and uh, again, quality assurance. And uh, 90 days after that, I became a quality assurance administrator. So a lot of things lined up for me to be in that position. Um, but it was, it was my number one. Uh, what I really wanted to do was work for IBM. But like I said, I wasn't prepared financially right to be uh without income for four to six months and that's how i ended up uh with uh mcdonald Douglas. yeah well let me tell you what being a fourth match you really mean okay is in the navy in all branches they have e-9s right in the navy they have e-9 they master you paid off so you can stay in your rate and do that job or you can go command master chief then when you become a command master chief you had so many platforms you could go force master chief now they only have 14 force master chiefs in the Navy at any given time. Wow. You got your surface, air, special war, but all of them feed off of the recruiters. Okay. I was the first force master chief of Navy Recruiting Command. Okay. Navy Recruiting Command had been around forever, but they didn't have the right leadership to designate that to be a force master. They only had 13 force. I told them, if you want me to be in that job, you got to Converted to a fourth master chief job, I flew to Washington D.C. to sit down with Mick Pond Campbell and sat down with him and said, "I'm coming to the Navy." Mick Pond, you, you, there was an abbreviation. What is master it? chief Petty officer of the Navy, an E10. Okay. And told him, "If you want me to be the command master chief of Navy recruiting command, you better upgrade it to a force because nobody eats unless a recruiter put the meal on the table." Right. They upgraded. Now. You could be a fleet master. Now it's, it's three. You could be a force master chief, which means you're in charge of a force, or you could be a fleet, which means Atlantic fleet, okay, Pacific fleet, or you'd be the master chief of the navy, master chief of the navy, Mick Pond. I was nominated. People don't know this. I was nominated, and interviewed it three times for fleet master chief, Pacific fleet. I interviewed three times for Atlantic fleet master chief. Wow. And I interviewed three times for the master chief petty officer of the navy. Wow, three times. So let me do this. We go, we gonna cut to the chase here because we gonna we, our, our time is limited. Um, there's a movie out that was done by PBS. It's called Carrier. 
And the reason I want to bring this up is because you were the Master Chief, Command Master Chief Petty Officer uh, on the USS Nimitz. How did that come about? Well, they were, they were searching. They wanted to do a reality show about the Navy in real life. Okay. So they were searching for a ship that was getting ready to go out to sea that had the right leadership on board because you got 5,500 people on board that ship and another 10,000 in the whole battle group. Okay. Any one incident can sink that captain of the admiral career. So you had a black command master chief. Okay. You had a, a, a male white commanding officer from Mississippi. And then you had a, a, a white uh, executive officer. So that combination was work, work for, the, for the military. So they said, we're going to allow you guys to film this. You had to get security mm. from the Secretary okay. of Defense. They had to get okay. all of them questions they had to get answered. How would this look at the end of the day? Yeah. So that's how it came about. Well, when I saw Carrier, as a matter of fact, I was, I was sitting down in my living room uh, just enjoying watching TV, ended up on PBS, and it, this program came up about Carrier. Then all of a sudden, I look, and I see this command master chief walking through uh, the, the, the ship and barking at people. And I said, wow, that reminds me of Christopher L. Pinton. <laughs> then all of a sudden, I looked. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. It is Pinton. <laughs> And I sat there, man, I watched the entire series. And again, for, for our audience closing the wealth gap, if you haven't seen that PBS series, uh, series uh, Carrier, uh, I highly recommend you take a look at it because it's so real. It's so true as far as day-to-day life, as far as being in, being in uh, the Navy back then aboard uh, the USS Nimitz. And it's just, it's a really, it's a powerful story. I just think that uh, that everybody, if you're, if you're planning on going to the military, you should see it. If you're a veteran, you should take a look at it. But it's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. And you also uh, did some uh, some acting with Denzel Washington. Yeah, I, when I was the command master for the USS Bellawood, they shot the movie, the Antoine Fisher story. Yes. So that was Denzel's first movie being a director. And he had a whole lot of new actors. So they had to. The military side of it, you know, we, we provided, you know, people for the brig scene. Right. I had a lot of people for the brig scene. We just went right down to the brig <laughs> and say, hey, man, they call it for you upstairs. Go. <laughs> but get, get him locked back up. But, yeah, so Denzel Washington was sitting in the hangar bay. So as the command master chief, I'm sitting down next to him. And everybody, they got 5,500 people on board. All 5,500 didn't like Denzel. But enough of them liked him because it tied up his time. So my job was to make sure that whoever the most important person in your life, right. you're going to get one signature. Right. They're going to say, well, can I get one for my grandmother? No. Wow. Get one for whoever you want to and write out her name and put your grandmother's name. Let's keep it moving. Yeah, one thing I heard about Denzel Washington is that he'll, he'll give you an autograph. He's not, he's down. No, he was a, no, he was a super cool guy. Yeah. He sat in the hangar bay for hours after, the, after they got through shooting and signed everybody's autograph. As a matter of fact, I told him to go to bed, and I started signing his autograph. <laughs> those are the ones that you can find on eBay for a quarter, right? No, no, those are the ones you got to pay a quarter to put it on eBay. <laughs> Denzel don't spell his name like that, but Denzel Christopher do. Maybe <laughs> something else. Hey, you, so you know, you guys, do you see what I had to put up with for? for Eight weeks in basic training. and <laughs> But the funny story about basic training is I was from 
Louisiana, and French is from California. So I watched a lot of Stephen and Son growing up, so I knew words like Watts and El Segundo. So what yeah. we used to do at the end of the evening, you either go outside in the wash area, you wash your hats on a yeah. scrub board. Yeah. So we'll sit out there, it was story time. So I sit out there and I say, yeah, I walk it down the street, you know, on 120th and Main, and I was, you know, shut up, man. I, I called it. <laughs> it's like, but I thought you were from Louisiana. I said, I was born in Louisiana, man. Don't get it wrong, man. Don't get it key sweat. Don't get it twisted. I'm a straight gangster. And Fred sit up there like, you country bunking. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time you ever been in California. And he just let me tell my stories. He co-signed the stories, but I had a different story every day. But it was, it was so entertaining, though, man. <laughs> you, you just made everybody laugh, and we'd be because it, it was a, it was it was a lot of stress going on there. And we had a lot of we had a lot of young guys. We had older guys too. We had married guys that would get married guys and having family problems and issues and financial issues and stuff. And that was the goat for us sitting down and telling those stories. And some guys smoked, and some people out there shining their shoes. But that was the golden time of day for us, man. You always had cookies somebody always got cookies in the mail yes 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 until the one day a guy got some cookies in and he popped positive nobody ate his cookies anymore <laughs> <laughs> well i tell you what man i got out of the uh, i got out of the navy when i was in e5 i was actually uh the first time i was up for e5 i was in had been in the navy for like maybe three years uh just over three years and i was i was due to take the e5 exam and i wouldn't take it and I wouldn't take the exam because I didn't feel like I was qualified to be an E5 because, again, I hadn't gone through through the service schools. Now, I'm running the shop uh, as an E4. I'm, I can fix the plane, but I just didn't want to do it. So by the time I went and got to, got to uh, finish A school and everything, got back to the fleet, uh, went in and took the, the E5 exam, passed it. Um, I was up for E6 when I was getting ready to get out, and I had to make a decision. Do you want to stay in and become an E6 and, you know, maybe – uh, you know, pursue your career as a, 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 a you know chief petty officer. Yeah. Or uh, do I become LDO or become an officer? And like I said, when that when that seed was planted with IBM, um, I decided to just go ahead and make that transition. But for me, it was one of the best decisions I ever made because from McDonnell Douglas, I ended up working for a New York Life Insurance Company, and I was working with a high uh, high wealth end uh, high wealth individuals, and and helping them with their portfolios. And which landed me or led me to actually create my own company, which is Tyrone French and Associates. And I've been a licensed insurance agent in California uh, since 1991 and been running my own practice. And for me, just being uh, to learn finance and to understand that how important financial literacy is and, and economic empowerment, even going back to the civil rights era, um, where economics, to me, economic empowerment opens the door to everything else. And if you understand, like this country and capitalism has been so good to me just based on being able to start my own business, being able to understand cash flow, being able to um, to to understand generational wealth and be able to structure it based on uh, what my lineage and my legacy uh, is for me it's the greatest feeling in the world, not having to worry about you know, you know, lifestyle, right. you know, do I, how do I, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Do I have funds to do that? No, you just, you wake up in the morning, you yawn, you thank God, you know, you're seeing another day and you, you do what you want to do when you want to do it. Yeah. You spend time with the people that you want to spend time with. Some people that you don't want to spend time with, you don't have to. Some people, they can't stand going to work, you know, so they wake up on Monday morning the first and their heart attacks them. Yeah, because they're so stressed out about going to work. Um, 
But let them know, friend, you also unique in a way that you was in the Navy and you was in the Army. You don't talk about the Army that much. Tell them about you, you was also in the Army so you can cross over from the Army to the, you almost an officer in the Army. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I'm, I'm conflicted every every year when I'm watching the Army-Navy game. Who do I root for? <laughs> you know who I root for? Hey, cause neither one of them going to throw a pass, so I root for, for halftime, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, but again, for me, I, it was just a privilege to serve. Uh, I, you know, my time in the Army, uh, I just spent a lot of time in the army i uh, my my aspiration was become a warrant officer in the army um things kind of precluded me from doing that but again i don't have any regrets about my time that i spent in germany and spent in the army but again it, it all led me to where i am now as far as being able to look back and say you know uh this country the military has helped me uh tremendously and I just want to give back to a lot of these young men and women that China that, that join the armed forces that really don't have a clue about their finances and how they want to how they want to live their lives. And just instead of being reactionary, I'd rather have you know teach people how to be uh, proactive right. with their finances and proactive uh, with their estate planning and proactive with uh, whether they want to work on a job nine to five or whether they want to start their own business because right now we live in a new economy we call it a gig economy and a lot of employers now they're not hiring people for 40 hours uh, 40 hours a week because it's easier for them to hire them part time so that they don't have they don't get benefits right so a lot of people that, that join the military um, they don't have to worry about the the things that a lot of uh, civilians would have to worry about as far as benefits because they already have medical. Yeah. Uh, if they if, let's say if they're service connected, they're going to get uh, they, they'll get dental at a, at a certain percentage. But if they don't, they're actually uh, programs that people can literally purchase to get dental, which is almost next to nothing. Yeah. So a, a lot of the problems that the average person will have as far as being an independent contractor and starting their own business, a lot of veterans don't have that problem. And that's where I come in at. Because, see, I want to I make veterans aware of all the benefits. See, everybody get caught up on the monetary benefits of being a veteran. Right. But you also have, you know, depending on your percentage, you don't have to pay property tax. Exactly. You get a couple of your vehicles. Yes. You know, uh, Big registration is you know, free. It's a yeah. lot of stuff that but veterans don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Yes. But you have paid and you have done your time. So that's what we try to just make awareness. Well, I tell you what, I recently had a friend of mine passed away. Somebody that I served with um, uh, when I was on Guam. As a matter of fact, he helped me become an uh, avionics technician. And uh, he was working for the VA hospital uh, at the time. He passed away, had a stroke, and passed away. And um, his family was so heavily dependent on him based on, cause he handled the finances and I can remember like it was yesterday. He came into my office. He was interested in getting a trust uh, for his family and doing a, um, a reverse mortgage. So if God forbid, if something were to happen to him, uh, his wife wouldn't have to worry about that, uh, that mortgage payment. Well, he passed away before we can do the reverse mortgage or we can do the trust. And because of our association, um, even though he had passed away, I was able to step in and to help his family to uh, to refinance their property so that make it affordable for the family to stay there, um, to put the trust in place. Whereas we put that property in the place uh, in place to where if the mother had passed away because the dad was already gone, if the mother had passed away, now the, the property actually transfers to the kids. And also with his pension and um, which actually became a part of her income. So she went from a situation where, you know, she had lost her husband and was and was worried about how they were going to survive and how we're going to keep the house and the cars to now this woman doesn't have 
a care in the world because of the benefits that he had when he was in the military. He retired as the um, lieutenant commander. As a lieutenant commander. Yeah, you yeah, you I spoke to, at his funeral. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I'm just saying there's so many benefits to to being to being a veteran being in the military and being a veteran that if we can just reach a few of these guys and help them put, to prepare themselves before they get out, uh it's life changing. That's right. Life changing. I would tell anybody that's 18 years old that's getting ready to graduate from high school, if somebody asks you a question, what are you going to do with your life? If it takes you that much time to think about it, you should go to the military for at least four years. We're not at talking about going years. to war. Right. We say go to the military. First of all, you're going to get discipline. Mm -hmm. You're going to get an opportunity to save money. You're going to take college courses. Mm -hmm. You can do everything you want to do. Yeah. So I tell you what, man, we got, we run out of time right now. We're going to continue this segment. And we're going to actually start bringing in certain veterans and certain people with organiz from organizations that can, again, help uh, these re um, these recruits, uh, on people that are on active duty. And we're going to have, have programs where when people, when veterans, when people get out of the military, that they have a system that they can plug into, um, again, that's going to help them to not only just to recognize the benefits that they have, because you don't know what you don't know. So to expose a lot of people to the just benefits that they have, but also, why would you give somebody a brand new car and not they not know how to drive? Yeah. So we're also going to teach them how to drive these vehicles, how to make uh, take advantage of them to whereas they're actually beneficial for them and their family. Or give a person a brand new car and don't give them a maintenance plan, a service plan. Or or if you want to be cruel, give them a brand new car and no gas. Oh, you want to get cruel? <laughs> give them a brand new car and take the wheels off of it. I mean, we could go. <laughs> So I tell you what, if if if, if people are gonna listen to this this, this podcast and um, they're gonna want to know how to get in touch with us, so first of all, again, Tyrone French closing the wealth gap. Uh, you can go to tyronefrench.com. Uh, that's my website. You can actually literally Google Tyrone French. But here's the thing: what we want you guys to do is continue to come back, continue to listen to this podcast, continue to get this information because it's. Time is short. And the one thing that we really don't think about and one thing that we really don't consider is that you can be here today and gone tomorrow. And so why everything compounds. So why why just waste this time on right. stuff that really don't matter when right. you can associate with spend some time yeah. as far as getting yourself together financially. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, then do it for your family. Right. Do it for your kids. Do it for your grandkids. You know, because even with even with now the benefits that I have, I have a, a a disability rating, but it allows me to even let my daughter go to school, go to school for free. Yeah. So again, these are certain things. I can't tell you how many veterans I've spoken to when I ask them, "Do you have a disability rating?" and they they'll say, "What's that?" It, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Blows my mind. So, Penn, if somebody were to try to get in touch with you, how would they get in touch with you? They get in touch with me by Christopher, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-M-R-Navy okay. at Gmail. So, it's Christopher M.R. Navy, all one Mr. word. Mr. Navy. Mr. Navy. I don't already, so you already know what direction I'm going in. <laughs> Anchors up. Okay. Hey, Paul, are you still there? I am just amazed. I'm watching two prize fighters uh, <laughs> duke it out here. And I'm amazed, at the, on a serious note, the conversation you guys have had in the past and looking forward to the ones in the future, how ill-prepared people are once they get out of the military. Staggering. To, to handle staggering. the simplest financial thing. 
everything's been taken care of for them. They, they got, as you said, three meals in a cot or something. Three hot in a cot. Yeah. You get three meals and a bed, and everything's taken care of for you, and you're making good money. And you think they would come out so far ahead of the rest of us. And here's the thing, though. It's not just enlisted people, Paul. It's officers Everybody. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Officers as well. So we're gonna keep this. We're gonna keep this thing rolling, man. Because again, it's a topic that a lot of people just are not addressing. And we're gonna stay on it. And we're gonna help some veterans. We're gonna help some people. And actually, uh, active duty military that can actually put themselves in a position where they can succeed financially. Love it. Okay. And, and and their families. And their families. And their families. Because right. because it, it's not just the serve. It's not the it's not just the person that joins the military that serves. It's the entire family that serves. That's right. Let's wrap up episode one here. Give us the websites again here, and then we'll uh, come back and watch episode two. Again, I want you to go to tyronefrench.com. That's my personal website as far as my business. But if you, we also have a coaching platform that that talks about all of this stuff. So you want to go to tyronefrench.coach. Uh, the website based on closing the wealth gap is closingthewealthgap.net. And mine mine is Christopher M R Navy at Gmail. C H R I S T O P H E R M R Navy at Gmail. And the reason why I know how to spell my name is because when I was in high school, my name was so long, I learned how to spell, spell Chris Stop Her and then connect three together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The things they teach in Bugaloo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going right. to wrap it up for today here. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Closing the Wealth Gap. The one show, the only show that shows you how to take control of your financial future. Right here in North County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Talk now.